How y'all doing today? It's good to see y'all. So good to see y'all. So good to be back with you. I, I was telling Allie last night, I was watching, uh, <laughs> I was not watching Florida State. Um, I was watching, uh, I was watching live PD of all things. Uh, and, uh, and, <laughs> and I told, I told Allie, I said, I said, it's weird because I've, I've been preaching since I was 15 years old. I'm 40 now. So it's 25 years. I can do math. And, uh, and, and I remember, I remember feeling the first time I got up to preach when I was 15, I, I was frightened by the way, like absolutely frightened by the lights, by the, uh, by the people looking back at me like they, like they wanted to, like they either wanted to eat me or they wanted to critique every word that I said. And so uh, I remember just how nervous I was. But I remember the first time I stepped into the pulpit at age 15, I remember as soon as I walked up and I stood behind the pulpit, which was huge, right? Like the old, old school pulpits that like just hide you. Um, I remember thinking, remember thinking, this is the coolest feeling on earth. And, uh, and, and I just never got over it. And so last night I was, uh, I was watching live PD and uh, I was flipping back and forth between that and the Braves. And, um, and, and I told Ali, I said, I'm really excited for tomorrow. It's like after 25 years of preaching, it never gets old. Uh, and the beauty is, is that I preach through most of the books of the Bible. I, 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 I probably need to get more into the minor prophets uh, just because that's the place that I just sort of like kind of like, like go around every now and then. But, um, but to, to be in God's word, every time we open God's word, and I don't want you to lose that today. Every time we open God's word, it is a fresh word from God. It, it, is, it is his inspired and errant word. It is, it is useful for training, for reproof, for correction. Um, it, it is for, for encouragement, uh, to encourage us when we're broken. We walk in. And the thing is, we have come from, some of y'all live out towards Mayport, some of y'all live down south, some of y'all are over in Arlington. We're in Green Cove, I mean, Green Cove Springs of all places. And when we come in from every direction and we gather, we bring our burdens into this place. And, and I don't know about you and your burdens, but when I have a particular burden, uh, I feel like I'm the only one that has it. Like, like that I'm the only, like, like nobody really under, understands uh, how I feel and, and, and what I'm struggling with. And, and just to know that, that when we all come in together, we all kinda, we're all kind of suffering in our, in our own place. Um, actually, the fact, is, the fact that, that, that we're, we all have our burdens makes me feel better uh, because that's what the church is about, is bearing one another's burdens, suffering together for the, for the, the cause of Christ. And that's what today is about. Um, I, you know, ever since I preached my first sermon at 15, I was, uh, I've always had kind of the same, um, the same thing. I, I tell people all the time that, uh, that I am Southern Baptist born, I'm Southern Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Southern Baptist dead. Uh, and, and, and that is just, that's what I grew up in. It's, it's what I've known. And let me tell you what Southern Baptist sermons are. They are three points, an illustration, a quote, and a prayer at the end, all right? Uh, that is what, that is what I, mean, I don't care what passage of scripture it is. It could be John 3.16 or it could be the, the entire, uh, it's like Psalm 119. Or it could, it, could be, it could be Jesus wept, right? John 11.35. I can make three points come out of that. That is not what today is. And so I am so completely and unbelievably out of my comfort zone because I sat in, in my office and was reading through the, the passage uh, this week and I was looking for three points. Casey, I could not find three points. I'm struggling. And so, so, it, so you're going to have to help me. I'm going to struggle through the sermon today. But uh, we are at the end of this. 
uh, we are going to, it's going to be a, a, a something different um, than kind of, kind of I've ever experienced. Uh, as we just walk through the passage together, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, if you have your copy of God's Word. Uh, and then at the end, we're going to take communion together, or the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist for all of our good Anglicans and Episcopalians uh, and Catholics that are in the room today. And so um, uh, if you do not have... Um, uh, a, a little prepackaged, you know. You know, COVID did a lot of terrible things. One thing, one fantastic thing COVID did uh, was was introduce us to prepackaged elements. Uh, and so, um, uh, so if if you don't have uh, elements, um, there are some on the back tables. You can go grab one, uh, or you can. Uh, Actually, you can just go grab one, and uh, and so I promise it won't be it won't be weird because at the end uh, we're going to take the elements together uh, and we're going to uh, going to share in the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection uh, together. Um, the big idea of today's message is this: is that the communion table is a reminder. Okay, let me tell you what it's not. Okay, there are some denominations that believe in a process called transubstantiation. It's a big church word. Let me tell you what it is. It is that when you take the elements, when you take uh, the cracker, uh, it literally physically becomes the, bo- the broken body of Christ in your mouth. Like it, it, tran- it, it, uh, it, it changes substances and be- goes from being a piece of unleavened bread to being the body of Christ. Uh, that when you drink of the, the grape juice, because we're Southern Baptists and that's what we drink is grape juice. And so uh, when we drink of the grape juice, that it literally becomes the blood of Christ. And so, so uh, a, you know, early... Uh, and early in Christendom, um, there were people that, that were afraid of Christians because of this idea of transubstantiation. They thought we were cannibals uh, because we believe that it becomes the body and blood of Christ. That's not what this is. All right? Communion is a, is a reminder. It is a remembrance. It doesn't save you. It doesn't, um, it doesn't do anything other than, than remind you of the cost of your salvation. That there was a high price. While salvation is free, it is not cheap. And so the community table is a reminder that our togetherness comes at a price. When we gather, we are not a civic organization, which I love Rotary and Elks Club and all those others uh, that do good things uh, across, uh, across our, our city. Uh, but the, when the gathered body of Christ comes together in one room, there is something different about us. Our togetherness is not, is not just idealistic. It is not just um, philosophical. It is, the, it is deeply theological. That our togetherness, the reason we gather, it comes at a price. Because Jesus suffered, and that's the beauty of it. What, no matter what burdens you brought in this morning, um, when, because Jesus suffered, your suffering and my suffering <coughs> now has value. And I need to know this, that if I'm going to suffer in this world, that my suffering has value. That there is some, some uh, type of value within the process of suffering. That if it, was in, if it was for vanity's sake or if there was no particular reason that we suffer, then it would be harder for me to, to live through those things. But knowing that, be, that Jesus suffered long before we ever did, whatever suffering comes our way has value. And so Paul writes to the church. This is actually, uh, we call this the book of 2 Corinthians, but it's really the book of 4 Corinthians. Uh, there are two letters that Paul wrote to the local church that are not chronicled within the 66 books of the canon. Uh, and so um, this is actually the fourth letter that he wrote to them, uh, longing to see them, longing to be with them. Now, there was a little bit of back and forth, um, and you're going to read that, that, uh, that, that this was, um, 
in the beginning of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, that, that this letter was distributed to the churches in Achaia, which is um, modern-day Greece. And so um, this wasn't just to the church in Corinth. It was to the, church, the churches that were scattered across the entire region. But they had gotten into doing some, some things that the body of Christ shouldn't be doing. They were tolerating sin. They shouldn't have been tolerating. Uh, they weren't doing the process of church life together, of, of ecclesiology together. They weren't doing it correctly. They were overlooking things they shouldn't have overlooked, not holding people accountable when they were in the midst of sin. They were, they were uh, remembering together the, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, but they were doing so with hearts that were not prepared to receive the elements. And so Paul writes them, he says, he says in, the, in the words of that great theologian, Bob Newhart, stop it. And, and, and they didn't like that. And church, let me tell you what happens. When, when someone comes to us, when, it, when it, have you ever been in sin and someone has come to you and said, stop that, in, love, in the love of Jesus, quit. And you just go, oh man, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you told me I'm a terrible person. Now, we generally recoil, don't we? How dare you? You know, the Bible talks about taking care of the log in your own eye before you point out the speck in mine. Get your house in order, Right? We don't like to have our sin pointed out. And Paul points out the sin in this church that they might be stronger because of it. And so now in, in 2 Corinthians, which we now know to be the fourth letter, things have, have become have, have been kind of taken care of, have started to come to, they've come to a head and now they're starting to heal from it. And so Paul writes to them and encourages them about the God of comfort. Because we all deal with affliction. And so he's going to write to them. Now, let's read it together. Let's read the passage together. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11 together. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may, able, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. For if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings uh, that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He said, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. We're going to focus on the first part of that passage, verses 3 through 7 uh, today. But I, there's two words that we, we see in this passage that, that stick out, right? It's, it's the word comfort and affliction. The, the two have to go together. There cannot be comfort unless there is some type of affliction. And how are we going to know the comfort of Christ? How are we going to know the ministry of the Holy Spirit if we don't uh, have some type of affliction that we deal with? So fortunately for us, for those of us who are in Jesus, comfort always comes as a response 
to the world's affliction. Isn't that, isn't that nice to know? That when the world afflicts us, when the world uh, crashes down on us, when you get a medical diagnosis, when you have a spouse that comes to you and says, I don't love you anymore, when you have kids that are acting rebellious, when, when you have something that, that is just, just ripping your life apart and you cry out to God and you say, God, God, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I'm needy. The God of all comfort says, I'll never leave you. I'll be there. As a matter of fact, Jesus told the disciples in John 16, understand where we are in John 16. In John 13, he had just told the disciples he was going to be betrayed. In John 14, he told them he was going to leave, that if he's going to prepare a place for them, but he's got to go. Then in John 16, as the disciples are reeling, understand what Jesus was doing here. Jesus, the disciples truly believe that the kingdom that, that Jesus speaks of, that he is building in this world, that, that is, is truly not of this world. That the kingdom that he is building is in a place other than this world. And so the disciples just thought he was going to come and drive out the Romans and was going to set up his kingdom on earth. And they filled in the gaps that Jesus chose to leave silent. And so when he told them, I'm leaving to go back to my father, the disciples were like, what? We left our families. We left our jobs. We left our hope. Like we, we, we left all the things that we held dear. And now you're telling us you're going to leave? And in John chapter 16 and verse 33 Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you might have what? Peace. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. The old school Bible school, VBS, Patrick once said, in this world you will have trouble. He says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. What a promise for us. That everything that we deal with is under the watchful eye of God. And so you might ask, how does Jesus offer peace and comfort in affliction? He's gone, right? Acts 1.10, he, he ascends to heaven. He's gone, like just up and leaves. But remember what he said. Jesus said, the disciples are like, why do you have to go? Like, why do you got to run? Like, like you, essentially, you just got here. Things were just getting fun. You're overturning tables. The Pharisees hate us. What a party. And why are you leaving? Why are you leaving when things are just getting interesting? How about Jesus' response when he says, if I don't go, the counselor can't come. The word counselor, when he, the, the, the term that he uses to describe the Holy Spirit is the same word in context that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 for comfort. The word comfort or counsel in, in Greek, this particular word literally means to strengthen. When we lean into the ministry of the Holy Spirit, church, we are strengthened. Literally, we are leaning into the ministry of the strengthener. When you're broken, when you're tired, when you're hurt, when you're despondent, when you're confused, and you cry out to God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is there to not only to hold you, to comfort you, He is there to strengthen you, 
To, he is literally our strength when we, are, when we are weak. As a matter of fact, scriptures say his strength is made perfect in our weakness. For when we are weak, he is strong on our behalf. The comforter is literally our strengthener. But he's also our high priest. Hebrews chapter 4. He says, since then, we, since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and grace and, I'm sorry, we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Church, when, when we are suffering and we pray to God, the God of all comfort hears us. And the thing is, if you walked in today and like you're visiting with family and you're Catholic, I got, I, got a, I got a good word for you. You don't need a priest. You don't need an intermediary. You don't need someone who is going to go to the Father on your behalf. You already have Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. So he goes to the Father on our behalf, going so far as to intercede for us with groans we can't comprehend. When you're in your most weakened, broken state and you don't know how to formulate the words, Jesus formulates them on your behalf. What a promise. Jesus is our high priest. But verse 5 shows us that our suffering, it needs perspective. Look at verse 5. He says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, not with Christ, not alongside of Christ, not in place of Christ. He says, it is through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Um, a guy named David Wells wrote a book called Above All Earthly Powers. It had just come out when I first went to seminary, and, and it was part of our required uh, reading in our, our missiology class. I'll never forget this particular quote that, that he says, talking about, um, uh, about 9-11 and what it did to our culture. He said, the, this moment of tragedy and evil shone its own light on the church, and what we came to see was not a happy sight. For what has become conspicuous by its scarcity, and not the least in the evangelical corner of it, is a spiritual gravitas, one which could match the depth of horrendous evil and address issues of such seriousness. Evangelicalism, now much absorbed by the arts and tricks of marketing, is simply not very serious anymore. Church, here, here's what, what these these churches that are drawing big crowds by watering down the gospel and replacing it with other things, people are finding those are turning up void. You want to know why? Because when you pull the gospel out, there is a void that cannot be fixed with marketing. There's a void that cannot be fixed with a, a talk. There is, there, there's a void that, that cannot be fixed just with great music that is about this deep. We sang a song today, Living Proof. And what gospel-centered about the atonement of Christ and what he's done. And because of that, we're living, we're breathing. We are the proof 
that Jesus died, buried, and was resurrected because we too have been, have died, have been buried and are resurrected. What a promise for us. But church, we become so concerned, consumed with marketing, with demographic studies, and being non-offensive. Church, my hope is, if you, is that if you don't come, if you leave this place today and you haven't been offended by something in the sermon, you weren't listening. This, the, the gospel is offensive. But church, sometimes we have to be broken before we can be built back up. There could be no resurrection without a crucifixion. God calls on us to endure, but because we receive comfort through Christ, we can now comfort others. Look at verses six and seven. He calls us to patiently endure. He said, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. You know what that means? Church, your suffering has value. If you've been afflicted, it is for your comfort. It's for your salvation, that it would push you to Christ. He said, if we're, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. That sounds like, like the most unnecessary statement in all of scripture. But church, we have been comforted in the ministry of Christ that we might turn around and comfort others. What a promise for us. God calls on us to patiently endure. Look at verse seven, or end into verse six. He said, which you experience when you patiently, it's the comfort of God that you, patient, you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Church, when we walk in, suffering is not relegated to marital problems or, or health diagnoses or uh, um, uh, terrible bosses at work. Our suffering is the same when we walk in. It may not be same, the same to us, but to Christ, suffering is handled in the same way. He comforts that we might leave to comfort others. That in the room, if you've had a pretty good week, and we're allowed to have pretty good weeks, right? The Christian life is not all about suffering. But if you're having a good week, the opportunity to come alongside someone who is suffering is a chance for you to reflect the good things about Christ. We're called to share in our sufferings, verse 7. We were never meant to bear these burdens alone. And, and, and that's the beauty of the church gathered. And it, it's harder for our online family, it's harder for you to, to, to connect and be online and, and, and not be in the room. And look, let me tell you, there's nothing that replaces the gathered uh, body of God's people. But the beauty of technology is that our online family can be with us today. And, and we can, even though we can't be around you to lay hands on you, to pray over you, to love on you, there is a comment section, a place for you to go. And you can drop uh, prayer requests or concerns. And our online host will be glad to pray over you now. I'll pray over you later when I go back and look over the service. And I promise you, I'm going to commission everybody sitting in the room today to go and when today is over to go and to look at the comments that were in the comment section to pray over them because whether you are gathered here, whether you're gathered online with us, you are a part of the family. And we bear these burdens together. One of my favorite statements in all of scripture, and it came to pass. You know what that means? Like a kidney stone, everything passes in time. I don't know what you walked in with. Can I, can I, give you a, can I just give you a word from God today? It will pass 
eventually. I've been where you are. Thankfully, I'm not there today. I had a pretty good week. Even recently, I've been where you are when I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm not saying this so that I can identify with you. That Let me tell you, talk to my family. It's been a tough few months. But it passed. And I can tell you, with every bit of confidence I have in Scripture, this too shall pass. Jesus' half-brother, James, wrote one of my favorite books in all the Bible, my favorite letters, to a church that was deeply persecuted. And when he identifies himself in James chapter 1 and verse 1, he identifies himself as a bondservant of Christ, a slave to Christ, a doulos. I'm a slave to Christ. How many of y'all would ever want to say that you were a slave to one of your siblings? And he goes on in, in, in James chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, brothers, consider it joy when you endure trials of many kinds. For you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its course in you that you may be whole and complete, not lacking anything. Church, we're called to patiently endure affliction because it draws us nearer to Christ. My favorite preacher in all the world, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this. He said, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. Here's what that means. If we believe that God is sovereign over all, and we do as believers, you don't, may not know that you do, but you do. Because if God is not sovereign over all, God is not sovereign at all. The beauty of trusting and obeying a sovereign God is that there's nothing on this planet that happens that isn't filtered through his hands. And you may say, why would God allow me to walk through something like this? It's because, church, there can be no comfort without affliction. And sometimes God allows us to experience affliction that it might drive us to him. For the family trying to have kids, maybe you just had a miscarriage. Maybe you just, maybe you just haven't been able to get pregnant. Man, I know what that's like. The God of peace and comfort is with you today. Whatever your affliction. And so we can lay our head on the pillow at night knowing that the sovereign God of all creation won't give us more than we can handle, which is terrible theology. God never said that, did he? He said he would never give us more than he can handle. And when we rest in him, we can lay our head on the pillow at night and not worry about what goes on in this world because the sovereign God of creation is on the throne. One of the hardest truths the local church must come to understand is the idea that sometimes the Lord allows us to walk through difficult times that it might drive us to him. And so family, as we take of the elements today, it's a reminder that Jesus died, was buried, 
and that he gloriously resurrected to be the God of comfort to you. So I want to encourage you today. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's where we, we receive comfort. As Paul chronicles the Lord's Supper. Before we take of the elements, I, I want to caution you uh, on something. Um, Paul, is, at the end of this passage, is going gonna, is gonna to say something we, we don't generally go to when we do Lord's Supper. Because we love to spend our time in 23 through 26, where he's talking about how to take the elements. But verses 27 through, was it 27 through 28? 27 through, um, oh, through, through 29, um, speak to what it's like to come into the room and to take the elements in an unworthy manner. Let's talk about that. Because, because you can't gloss over that. There may be some type of unrepented sin in your heart, okay? Uh, and, and if you're watching online, like you don't have these cool little prepackaged elements, that's totally cool. During COVID, my family took Lord's Supper with Triscuits and, and Gatorade, all right? So, go, so I'm going to be talking for a minute, turn the sound up, go into, go into the kitchen, find a goldfish. Find a, they're fantastic for, for Lord's Supper. Go, go, find, go find something to, because remember, this is just representative, okay? Go find something. Um, Paul speaks to, and I'll read it. I'll read it for you. He says, "He says, therefore, or so whoever, verse twenty-seven, whoever eat, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What does that mean? It means that." That you may have come in and you're just harboring bitterness or illness towards somebody who's hurt you. Hey, get it. I've been there. Been there recently. Um, the hardest part when someone hurts you is to give that over to God because you feel like you should get your pound of flesh. Let's just be honest. Let's be real. That's, that's how life is. Um, I had one of those conversations this week, as a matter of fact. The temptation would be to harbor that and then come in because, because nobody's going to ask you if you are taking of the, of the table in a worthy manner. This is on you. It's on you to examine yourself. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that here in just a moment before we take of the, of the table together. All I'm going to ask is that if there's some type of unrepentant sin in your heart, you're, you're, it's sin. Okay, you know what that is. If you're a believer, you know what sin is. Um, and you're not ready to let that go. I get it. Don't take of the table, all right? Put the, take it home with you. Like, put it in your purse or in your pocket. Uh, nobody needs to know. Nobody's going to be looking around. This isn't about anybody else in the room. It's about you and God. If you're not ready to let go of that and ask God to forgive you of those things, or if you're not ready to forgive others, let that go, just for today. Um, if you're not a believer in the room, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of the high cost of healing our suffering. And that was the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father but by Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved but the name of Jesus. And so my encouragement to you today is to, to turn your life over to Christ. Ask him to forgive you of the dumb stuff that you've done. Become a Christian today. At the end of the service, there's a section back in the back that says, what is your next step? Pastor Matt's going to be back there. Go talk to him about salvation. Come talk to me. And we, we believe me, it's a conversation we're dying to have with you. 
but don't take of the table today. This, this, I love you. This, this isn't for you today. We can fix that. Now, for the believers in the room, I'm going to ask, if you would, for everyone, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're online, feel free to do the same. It's in your living room. No big deal. Use this opportunity, this moment, and clear out anything, if you're ready, clear out any unrepentant sin that is in your heart that you might be able to take the table in a worthy manner. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to remember your death, your burial, and your resurrection. We thank you for the honor of you inviting us to your table to partake. But Father, we are desirous to do so in a worthy, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And God, we know that we are not perfect. But God, because we are justified in Christ, being sanctified in the Spirit, you have qualified us to take of the table today. You've commanded it of us. That whenever we eat of this bread or drink of this cup, we proclaim your death until you come. God, if there's an unrepented sin in our lives, Father, I pray that we would turn those things over to you in this moment. That we might take the table in a worthy manner. That we might not sully the name of Christ. So God, if someone is in this room needs to let go of bitterness or hurt, needs to lean into the God of comfort. I pray they would do that today. That God, that you might be glorified and the body might be built up. If we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm reminded of the hymn writer, who said there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. That's going to conclude our service today. You'll be dismissed to your life groups. If you've never, never trusted Jesus as your Savior, Matt's going to be back in the back. He was the guy that was talking before me up here. Go see Matt. Come see me. Let's talk about what this means. We want, to, we want to tell you the greatest story ever told about the greatest person that ever lived. Thank you so much for being here today. It's a privilege to share in the Lord's table with you today, my family. Father, we love you and we honor you. 
as we leave this place, may we go knowing that you bled, you died, but you didn't stay dead. You resurrected. You rose again on the third day to purchase our salvation. You hold the keys to death and to hell and the grave. And because of that, Father, our suffering has value. Thank you, Father, for being valuable. Thank you for allowing our suffering to not be in vain. For you see value in us because of your son, Jesus. We thank you and we pray these things in his name and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen. amen.